I'm Robert Harari. I'm Salvatesh. It's Tuesday, April 14th, 2020, and it's another quarantine edition of Casual Pour. Be a little more excited. It's a great show. I'm excited. I'm just not excited to be quarantined. Yeah, yeah, it's a shit world situation, but whatever, you gotta smile. I was you doing great, happy. but I was doing great. I was, I was, you know, I was like, maybe, you know, this is fine, but I'm starting to get a little, you know, losing my mind a little bit. Yeah, you, 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 you do keep mentioning how much you're on edge. I'm on edge. I mean, I'm not on, I don't really get on edge. You, you, I've ever gotten Sal's on edge. version of on edge. I'm, uh, right. I'm just, <laughs> I just, I just want to go out for dinner. And you know what, Stephen, you know what I realized? What? It's it's annoying now. It's definitely annoying to be home, but it's going to be even more annoying when you're allowed to go out, but you also can't. What I mean what by I mean? that, what I mean by that is that the restaurant you're going to want to go to, it's like, oh, you know, it used to be like, oh, you want to go here? Great. Let's just go here. You know? Right. Whereas the next time you do that, the place is going to be like half full. What the restaurants are going to do is they're going to, open but they're only going to open with half occupancies so you're going to want to go and they're going to tell you listen we're booked be like on a wednesday night and they'll tell you yeah we only seat half occupancy in our restaurant because we'd want people to get sick yeah i guess you're right i also heard prices are going to go up who you who who are you talking to who you you talking to that's telling you all this this is my from my sources yeah, your 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 magic your magic casual poor sources. Don't doubt my sources. I uh, I got some people. I got some people in. Yeah. Uh, also, just a quick uh, wait, update. Robert what? screwed up his hair. He was cutting it himself, and he screwed it up, and now he's wearing a beanie, and it's really really bad. It's really I really I fucked mean, it up. Ugly. I'm not gonna lie. I really really fucked it up. I um I shaved uh, the guard. The guard came off while I was shaving my head. Uh, and I shaved a huge bald spot into the side of my head. How do you feel? Terrible. Of course I feel terrible. Kind of humbling. Um, I mean, no one's going to see it. No one's going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. I'm upset about my hair. What are we talking about this week, Saw? All right. All right. So this week we're talking about the lawsuit between WeWork and SoftBank and really how WeWork fell from their once amazing craziness of a company into a company that's now losing tons of money um, and is now in a fight with basically the investor that has saved them numerous times and basically owns them. So that's the first thing we're talking about. Um, The second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna get on the phone with some friends, talk to some people. We're gonna talk to Carol LaForgia. She's gonna tell us about what's going on with consumer products, what's going on with retail. And then we're going to hop on the phone with two very, very cool people from the Sirhan team. If you don't know Ryan Sirhant, big time real estate guy, um, million dollar listing. They're going to get on. They work with Ryan. They're going to get on talk about what's going on in New York City real estate, what's going on in real estate in general and where that's going. Then we're going to sit down, have a really great interview with a guy named Aman Palavani, founder and CEO of Hungry. Hungry is an amazing, amazing platform that is really changing how um, home chefs. Do you want to do? This? I fucking love Hungry yeah. so much. Hungry, uh, uh, Robert. I've had Robert's a food. huge fan. So I'm a huge fan of Hungry. I've had Hungry. Basically, Hungry uh, connects independent chefs with businesses for lunch to basically replace your uh, trip to Panera Bread or Dos Toros or Chipotle or whatever it is that you spend your usual lunch. Um, I got so sick of 
just the fast, casual, quick serve crap that I used to eat every single day. I had Hungry's food. I had like Korean barbecue and like amazing eggs and all this other stuff from like five star chefs. So they completely circumvent the restaurant process and connect chefs directly to uh, offices. Amazing, amazing platform. He raised money from celebrities like Kevin Hart, Usher, Jay-Z, even raised money from the former CEO of Whole Foods, Walter Robb, and Seth Goldman, this, the chairman of Beyond Meat. So just an all-around amazing guy. He's going to talk about how he grew his business, how he continues to grow his business, and how he's adapting to coronavirus right now. Um, and the last thing we're going to talk about is how Hollywood is adjusting to this corona world. When they were doing so well, they were at the height of the industry. They were, they were, they were, they were doing so well. They broke every former record in the media game. Um, the industry hit huge highs, and, and now they're going to have to deal with a lot. And so we're going to talk about what they're doing to combat coronavirus and what some companies are doing with their new streaming services and if they can continue to kind of plug along. So that's what we got on the docket today. Let's start with Robert's favorite, favorite topic. I mean, he, oh, he, he talks about this when we're not on the show. He talks about this when we're on the phone. Talk about this he talks about hours. this basically all the time. What's going on with WeWork? Oh, WeWork. <laughs> that was a oh windup, like <laughs> a big smile on your face and you just, you were ready to... Okay, that was good. This, that was good. Here's, the, here's the latest shit show. Okay, so here's what's going on. WeWork is in the middle of suing SoftBank for the remaining three billion of their sick of their altogether, I think nine point seven billion dollar bailout plan for WeWork. Um, SoftBank already gave about six point seven to them, but they are stepping away from the last three billion that they wanted to give to them. That's particularly frustrating for people like Adam Newman, the uh, original founder of the company who is not going to be getting the billion dollars that he was offered uh, in stock. That's buy crazy that he was company. even offered that money. A whole other conversation. We could have a whole other episode it's, just about it's just true. about Adam Newman. True. But um, this is coming at the tail end of a pretty crazy uh, 2019 for WeWork, uh, kind of the year that shit hit the fan for the company. As many people know, they tried to go public last year and uh, that to say the least, it did not go well. People found a ton of problems with the company, both in the actual fundamentals of the business in terms of how they're valued, where they're growing, how they're spending their money, down to how the CEO is acting inside of the company. Um, for example, he bought buildings and then would lease them back to WeWork to make some money off of his own company that way. I didn't know that. Other things, oh my God, oh, that's yeah, crazy. He would literally own buildings, then lease them back to his own company. Um, wow. He would... He bought the trademark for the term we and then sold that back to WeWork for a few million dollars. That was quickly overturned too. Um, bunch of just crazy, crazy stuff on that end. Um, so th this has been, you know, this is just the latest in the newest shit show of probably what I want to say is the absolute fucking worst deal of definitely the year, possibly decade, decade and maybe even the century. Whoa. Complete fuck up of a deal on every single side. Wow. Complete fuck up on a deal on every single side on the value. Wait, I'll, 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 I'll do my piece in a second. Sal, how do you feel about you this? Know, Adam Newman, Adam Newman was, we know this. He was one of those guys. He was one of those Silicon Valley in the sky kind of thinking. And he was so good at it. 
that he was able to raise a ton of money and create a crazy valuation. I was reading an article once where he was sitting with a reporter and the reporter goes, dude, you're losing a ton of money. Your company's valued at $47 billion. It's not worth that. What's the thought process here? And he sat back in his chair and he's like, you know, we're really changing the way people live and work and we're really creating a community. You know, he got all like Silicon Valley-ish, but he raised a ton of money off it. And it's, if you look at the valuation, it was 47 billion at its height. Like when they were going public, it was 47 billion. Today it's eight. They lost $1.3 billion last quarter. And what Adam Newman wanted to do, we know, right? You know this, right? They, they were trying to create this, he was trying to create this world, the we world. Basically, you have we work, you go to work in a we work, you go home to a we live, which was kind of a college dormy type living situation in buildings in New York City and, and mm -hmm. other states and cities. And then you'd go to like we school. They had their own daycare kindergarten school run by Adam Newman's wife. So the idea, by the way, if it worked, I don't even know if it's logical that it would work, but if it worked, it would have been nuts. You would have been, a lot of people would have been in this we, we world, which is just crazy. The but I world. guess, we world, but I guess it was, maybe, maybe it's not even possible to believe that something like that could be, something like that could work. And by the way, WeWork is a great idea, but that's what happens when you take a great idea and start throwing money at the wall. Start here. WeWork is not a tech company. Let's say it. They're not a tech company. They try to grow like a tech company, but just because you think that you can grow as fast as a tech company does not mean you're a tech company. This is Robert's favorite argument. It's, 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 it's fucking crazy, right? WeWork is a real estate company. They lease office space to people. To put this into perspective, right? If Facebook ever wanted to grow, I mean, they don't need much help growing at this point, but they don't need to do much to grow exactly, right? They could take on a user from China. They could take on a user from the United States, from Australia, from wherever in the world that they want to be because all they really need to do is make sure that all of it is, uh, is hosted properly on their servers. What WeWork has to do before they take on a single customer, they have to lease a building, staff the building, then build out an entire office space, build out a sales team before they could even <laughs> take on a single customer. That is not how a tech company works. It's just not how a tech company works. And on top of that, let's take them and compare them next to a real estate company so we get the idea here. WeWork was valued at $47 billion on $1.8 billion in revenue. Regis, valued at $3.8 billion on $1.2 billion Whoa. in revenue. So yes, there's a difference, Whoa. $600 million difference, but there's a fucking $39 billion delta between what WeWork was valued at and what Spaces and Regis is valued at. And they're both literally the same exact business model. Lease, sublease, office space, month to month to individual people. So where the fuck did this idea of them ever becoming a tech company come from? But does WeWork make it back from this? Like uh, uh, the trajectory right now is they're not... I don't know how they make it. I, I genuinely don't know how they make it. I don't, I don't see a path for them to make it. And they're great. I, I, I love WeWork. I've worked in WeWorks before. It's, it's a fantastic product. So I just don't know. Um, 
how they make it back when you're losing when you're losing 1.3 billion dollars last quarter and that that's last quarter that's pre-corona look they i don't know what we work does next i don't know who they become they brought on sandeep mathrani you and i speak about him a lot yeah they brought on sandeep mathrani from brookfield uh so they are saying this is going to be a real estate company sandeep mathrani is the new ceo of the company um they are also like divesting from a lot of their tech investments in general which is good um it, they're saying hey let's responsibly turn ourselves into a real estate company become a really well-valued real estate company but honestly I don't know. I don't know what happens next for these guys. There's too much money on the table. Too much money has been burnt and gone through this. Um, the brand has taken a huge hit. And this is, by the way, brings me straight into SoftBank, right? This is the curse of working with SoftBank. $100 billion fund, SoftBank's vision fund, minimum investments of $100 million into different companies. The idea here is let's pick the market leader inside of each and every single different industry or let's create the market leader in these industries. So what do they do? They pump hundreds of millions of dollars into companies that don't need that money yet, by the way, right? cannot handle that money yet, by the way, and then give them this insane, insanely high valuation so that no one ever asks any questions. Investors from previous rounds could write it off as a markup or SoftBank just buys them out completely in a secondary and the company loves their valuation flying through the roof. But then what happens is the company has to live up to that valuation. So what happens with SoftBank is it forces a binary result. Basically, I am now pumping this company with so much money and giving it such an insane valuation. And since there's it has to, before it goes out to raise any more money or have any form of liquidity event that includes an acquisition or an IPO, has to become more valuable than we made it out to be. So to put that in perspective, WAG. Remember WAG? You know WAG? Oh, the dog walking company? Oh, yes. What was that valuation again? It was nuts. It was insane. SoftBank gave them $300 million. Oh what God. the fuck is a dog walking company doing with $300 million? They were changing the way your dogs can be walked, okay? What the fuck? fuck does that even mean so here's what that here's what that says right uh, softbank thinks like okay let's play kingmaker let's choose the the leader in each and every single industry let's pump them up with so much money that nobody could compete with them let's give them such an insanely high valuation that everyone is just fucking happy that the deal happened and wants it to go through but nobody asks too many questions but then what happens there has to be some kind of end result and what happens it's the same story over and over and over. SoftBank gives them too much money. Company can't grow that fast. They end up burning through the money and they can't justify the valuation that SoftBank gave them and the company just goes bust or has to raise on a down round. That sucks. I think SoftBank took a big risk with this vision fund. Logically, it made sense. It didn't work. A lot of their investments didn't work, including Uber. Obviously, we work. Brandless. Wasn't a huge investment for them, but rest in peace, brandless. Yeah, that was. I thought it was. I thought that was a great idea, but I guess you know, I guess it didn't work. Um, but they're still, they're still a big company. Like this won't break them. This guy's gonna come back. He's gonna come back. He's gonna raise more money. He's gonna and he's gonna be way more strategic about his investments, and maybe not call it the vision fund, but maybe just make great investments through SoftBank's money and other investors yes and no um they were set out to finish up vision fund two and it looks like a lot of the lps in vision fund two actually backed out and said that it looks like they should uh focus on solely investing using what they said the returns 
of Vision Fund One and of SoftBank mm-hmm. to help fund Vision Fund Two, which is a really like delicate way of saying fuck off because they lost a ton of money on Vision Fund One and they're probably going to lose even more on Vision Fund Two. I think that with Masa, um, this guy, same with Adam Newman, Masayoshi Son and Adam Newman are kind of the same thinkers. They're these huge pie in the sky thinkers. Let's put billions and billions and billions of dollars at risk to get this thing done. And sometimes it works and sometimes it just really fucking doesn't. Don't take other people's money for something like this. This felt altogether puts a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I don't know if I've made it clear. I'm not a huge fan of this deal on the whole. And so I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that it's ending in a lawsuit. This weird civil war between these two companies. I'm not surprised by it. It's, It's just a shit show from every single direction. And it doesn't. I mean, you could you could write a movie about this. Like, it's insane. I'll, I I think we should leave it at that. I think we should get some some people on the phone and, and <laughs> yeah. re- relax you a little bit. We're, oh, we have a name for our new section. Yeah, this is a segment we now call Casual Calls. I was gonna do a drum roll. Fuck. You could throw it in. Uh, you could throw it in the edit. Throw it in in post. Yeah, Just throw it in post. We'll figure it out. Next up, we got the name. Next up is going to be the jingle, but let's talk to some friends. All right, and now we're going to get Kara LaForge on the phone. Um, we had Kara on the show a couple of weeks ago. She was fantastic. She's the CEO and founder of Kaz Consulting. She works with a ton of consumer brands and tons of retailers. Um, so we're going to get on the phone, see what her industry is like, see what she's up to. She's no BS. Um, that's why we like her. And we've been wanting to get her back on the phone for a while. Yeah. Let's have her in. Hey, Kara. Is she, is she in? She's in, but... I'm in. I'm in. Oh, okay. Hey, there she is. Okay. Hey, hey Kara. Yo, should I put my video on? I look terrible. No, you're good. <laughs> you, you, you're all good. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. Don't worry, Kara. I had to shave my head this week, so I'm in a beanie. So don't worry. Kara, he's covering his hair. Let's talk about retail. How is your world responding to this? How are you guys responding to this? Catch us up a little bit about what's going on there. I think we're still trying to figure it all out. Like it changes on literally a daily basis. So like I think when Corona first hit, we were like, all right, we don't know what's going to happen. Retail s- stores were still staying open. And then like week by week, you would hear an announcement like Bloomingdale's is closing, Saks is closing. And then like, by the second or third week, you'd get those emails like, oh, we furloughed all of our employees. So it's like been this progression or I guess like digression, I would say. What are you telling your companies that you work with? So my clients that I work with, uh, it's a mix. So some freaked out and wanted to pause services. So like, obviously going to let them do that. Um, but like reevaluate on like a weekly or bi-weekly basis with them. Like that's the message that's understood mutually. And because I mean, it it truly is changing week by week. So like not going to just, you know, have a client who needs to be able to give me 60 days notice or 90 days notice in my contract. If they're, if I'm going to be flexible with them, they need to be flexible with me too. You know, we're all business owners. So Mm. be mindful of that. Um, and then some were really crushing it. Like my biggest client on behalf of my clients is net porte Beauty Bay, 
Nordstrom and like we were still receiving some pretty big purchase orders and like net net was like that's net a porte they were yeah. placing tons of orders wow gearing up i mean they're just an online business they distribute to 120 countries but nordstrom's real retail they're doing they're they're ordering a lot no nap was because they're online what categories do you think come out of this consumer categories that, come out of this the best a great question sexual health like vibrators i know vibrating companies and like sexual wellness companies are crushing it wow um like tampons one of my clients bloom they sell tampons and pads organic tampons and pads and i've been offering that to a lot of retailers because there's a shortage of that which is an essential need so like that's another product category that's been doing well with retailers groceries grocery um of course grocers and things like that so it's like any client that i have in the food space that is in specialty retail with like beauty but also specialty retailer with like grocers and whole foods and thrive market and grove collaborative um all those guys are are doing are doing really well so like the lack that you're seeing on like the retail beauty side is being made up for on the grocers and gncs and the vitamin shops of the world Interesting. Is this the end of uh, the retailers that were having problems? Because I, I know, listen, you want to grow a brand, you got to be omni-channel. We spoke about it. Yeah. We know that. But maybe a lot of people are realizing maybe they don't have to go to the store. I think there's always going to need a physical, like, a physical presence for retail. I think that no matter how strong online businesses do, there are always going to be people who want to physically go in a store and have that physical experience. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not that person, but I'm that person that sells the products that does that. <laughs> I'm, a I'm a true online consumer for the most part. I'd say like the only thing in retail where like, I think you really need to touch and feel is like mattresses, bedding, sheets. I mean, last time we spoke, we also said like D to C is either dead or dying or both. Um, I mean, do you see? Do you see that starting to change now that people are stuck at home again? Yeah, dude. I mean, our D2C brands that are just solely focusing on D2C dead and are right. going to have a really tough time surviving, yes, that still remains true. Mm. I think that in any business, you need to be omni-channel, multi-channel, and you need to diversify. Mm. Something to note, which I've been really grateful and like, just as a business owner, to just focus, and this goes for all the brands out there listening and founders, to just focus on one country is a, is a huge miss. And I know a lot of brands can't focus on multiple countries. And like when you're first launching, you're like, yeah, I just want to launch in the US. I don't agree with that strategy. I think that you should always maintain a, a healthy mix between the US, Canada, the UK, the EU, and even Australia. I would say like those are... Mm. Because look at this. Like Australia might be thriving right now. The UK is not nearly as closed down as we are. Like One of my biggest clients for CAS Consulting is based in the UK, Silk London, shout out. I, I think it's a big part in part because like we've really diversified the brand globally. And that's important. Interesting. Got cool. it. Kara, we have one more question. We're actually genuinely curious. You drank when you came to our last episode. What'd yes. you drink? It was a Don Julio Blanco yeah. on the rocks. 
What's getting you through coronavirus right now? Dude, I had coronavirus for like three weeks. Right. Okay. So maybe, yeah, right. Didn't have asked you that question. Try taking me out. The Rona could not kill Cass Consult. <laughs> could not take me that. <laughs> but I would, I'm gonna leave. I'm leaving it at that. that was, <laughs> not even the Rona could kill Cass Consulting. Kara, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. My pleasure. I'm so sad it's over. Thanks, Kara. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you later. Oh. Right, cool. We'll talk to you later. All right, and now we're going to speak to Michael Bethany and Nathan Malkukian. Both of them are the heads of new development at the Serhant team inside of Nest Seekers. So let's get them onto the line. They're going to talk a little bit about uh, what real estate has been looking like, what new sales and new leases have been looking like through coronavirus. And- Not just in the NYC market. I, I think they want to talk about just what's going on in the country also in general, which I think is great. Yeah, they're outside of just the city. Yeah. But yeah. All right, let's throw All right cool. Let's have them in. Hey guys, what's going on? What's going on, guys? How you doing? We're uh, we're just trying to, um, you know, it's that point in the in the in the quarantine where start to go a little nuts. I don't know. I was kind of doing okay, and I'm starting to uh, starting to get a little 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 cabin fever. I don't know if you feel the same way. I'm like rereading articles at this point, you know, and not even realizing until I'm two thirds through. Like I thought I might have read this a few hours ago. I don't know. I'm watching Ancient Aliens yeah. on the History Channel from season one, episode one, all the way through right now. That's that's where I that's where I am. So. Okay, one up me. <laughs> it's, just, it's a it's a weird time. There's it's, no question about that. Well said. Well said. So, yeah. what are you guys seeing? I know you guys deal a lot in um, New York City real estate, residential real estate, but like it shed some light on New York City because. As we know, it's a hot spot, um, but also shed some light on the country in general, you know, and where you think things are kind of going. Sure. So New York City um, right now, uh, like most industries at the, at the moment, um, are pretty, pretty quiet, pretty shut down. Um, the business, the day-to-day has mostly shifted online, right? So what most new developments and a lot of resales as well uh, are offering today is instead of in-person showings, it's all gone virtual tour, right? So you can schedule virtual tours online. Um, in addition to checking out like listings online on StreetEasy and Zillow, you can also take a virtual tour of it. Uh, then you can also schedule like everybody else. We're all living on Zoom right now. Um, you could schedule Zoom presentations and do virtual tours of the properties. Um, that's really where the activity is happening. Look, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of virtual tours, um, but there's really not a lot of you know, offers, deals, transactions happening. Um, that part of the transaction market has really come to, you know, not a quite a grinding halt, but very, very slow. Look, most people just aren't moving right now, right? Everything has pretty much ground to a halt in terms of landlords are doing what they can to keep people in their, in their apartments, right? Like they don't want to have to go out there and find a new tenant, um, nor do renters really want to have to go find a new apartment, organize moving, spend all that time out and about and like touching different surfaces, right? Um, right. Most people just aren't really into it. Um, so they're just, they're extending their leases. They're doing rent forgiveness. Um, a lot of landlords are just saying, hey, I can't really win this in 
housing court if I were to try and recoup lost rent. So a lot of renters are just sort of taking advantage of that and just not paying and figuring it out as, as things sort of progress, right? Um, it's definitely a strange time. It's unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. Um, yeah. And I do think you'll see that sort of across the country. Um, it's not just New York that's slowed down. I mean, this is a, this is a nationwide, this is an international pandemic. Um, nobody's really safe or separate or distinct from this. Um, so the housing market across the country, we have a lot of colleagues and connects in uh, markets throughout the nation, not only urban like LA and Miami and Boston and DC, et cetera, um, but also like less, you know, less populated areas. Everywhere has really slowed down. That said, I do think there's a ton of pent up um, energy. And so whenever this thing breaks, which eventually it will, right? It has to. Of course. Um, we all are expecting that the market will pick up a lot in terms of activity, in terms of transaction, and in terms of pricing. Um, that's, that's the optimistic, but also pretty widespread thought. A lot of people are saying um, there's going to be a lot of movement to leave New York City after this. People are going to start moving to other areas. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think, um, do you think it's only going to get better in New York City? Uh, there is going to be a tremendous amount of supply. And when there's a tremendous amount of supply and not as much demand, the pricing is going to be more appealing. Therefore, I do see a lot of people actually coming into New York City because it is going to be slightly more affordable mm -hmm. than it was prior. And developers right now, they're, they're choking with their lenders. Like they need to pay off their loans. Sure. In order to pay off their loans, they need to provide the incentives in order for people to purchase and keep things moving along. And that's what's going to be happening across, uh, across all of the development of Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be suppressed for a little while, right? Um, like, I think, you know, people are going to be slow to get back out there and into their daily routines and looking for apartments, renting, selling, buying, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, there will be a period where people are just very hesitant. A lot of our clients will say, hey, we're really thinking about moving to Westchester. We're really thinking about moving out east onto the island or to New Jersey and out of, out of New York City. Um, but then... It, it, it's more of a thought than a reality, right? But this Corona COVID-19 situation has prompted people to get out of the city and now they're getting used to their lifestyle where they are, right? Whether it's sure. the Hamptons or Westchester. And I think that becomes more real, right? For them because they're living and they're going, Oh, you know, this actually isn't so bad. I think the bigger question will be how much does employment and the workplace go online and go virtual? As long as people are still going to work, like New York City is going to remain the center of, you know, the universe. Based on history, everything always, always comes back up even stronger and better. Uh, the real estate market has always been increasing over and over year after year. And we did the same thing. Uh, we, we're assuming the same is going to happen again. And we don't see anything bad happening anytime soon. I, I, think, um, I think that once we get on the other side of the virus, and then on the other side of the election, uh, we're going to see the market come back. We, we're not coming out of a, this isn't like 2007, 2008. Like obviously there's a health condition that's totally different. Sure. But 2007 was such a peak. And then 2008 was such a valley, right? Yeah. We're not coming out of a peak. Mm -hmm. This hasn't been the in, insane seller's market of that time. So we did not fall nearly as far as we did back then in 2008. 
Um, so I think we're going to see a real increase in the market come 2021 on the other side of this election and, and once the virus is in the rearview mirror. Love God it. Willing. Well said. Well said. I, and I, I think our last question, you know, me and Rob were talking about this all week, but um, we, we wanted to ask, ask our, our guest this, the question this week, but what's the drink that you guys are drinking? If you're drinking. Or what's the vice? What's the vice that's getting you through this? Nathan, you've got more vices than me, my friend. <laughs> I've been grilling like crazy. I'm having like five burgers a week. It's, you know, I wouldn't call that terrible, but it's more red meat than I should have, right? I love it. Just do it. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for calling in. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the zombie shows. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, that's the alien shows. Alien shows this week. <laughs> alien, zombies, sorry. Probably, <laughs> zombies are honestly probably next. I got no commitment level on what we're going to show right now. Thank you guys for calling in and let's talk again soon. Let's do it. Sounds good. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. Hell yeah. We'll talk to you later. All right. That wraps up casual calls for this week. Now, after the break, we're going to sit down with Aman Palavani, co-founder and COO of Hungry. We'll be right back. are back with casual pour today we are video chatting zooming in as sal likes to say with aman palavani co-founder and coo of hungry aman welcome to the show man appreciate it guys thanks for having me yeah we're, we're excited to hear uh first talk about hungry for a second you know uh, we kind of gave in the beginning of the show just a little synopsis on you guys but you know definitely let's hear from you what you guys do what the mission is you know all that good stuff so Hungry uh, is a platform that we created about three years ago, um, and it connects uh, independent chefs with rest, uh, independent chefs with um, offices, corporate offices for for catering. So rather than you know offices spending money on Panera and and just you know takeout and food from different restaurants, they can now connect directly with all of these top talented chefs in their local area and get really good food in their office. So that's essentially what Hungry is at its core. It's a it's a marketplace business model. And so zooming back a little bit, zooming out back, whatever you want to call it, a on bit. Zoom. On Zoom. Yes, so on Zoom. Zooming out. It's fine. The, <laughs> tell us about Hungry and how, you, and how you built what you built and where this concept came from, because this isn't your first rodeo and this isn't your first company. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of the path that brought you to Hungry and why you guys decided to do this? Yeah, I had a, um, about seven, eight years ago, um, uh, me and a couple of co-founders started a business called LiveSafe, which was, it was essentially born out of the Virginia Tech shooting. Um, one of our friends was a survivor, was shot three times. Um, her name is Christina Oof. Anderson. She survived that shooting. And what we found out after the fact was a lot of people knew something bad was going to happen that day, but no one said anything because everyone had little parts and pieces of intel. But there was nothing that like aggregated all that intelligence to create a clear picture. So we decided to create a platform called LiveSafe, which is a mobile app that just crowdsources safety intel. Um, raised a lot of money for that business. We grew it out. Uh, and then while at that business, we had a huge millennial employee base. Um, so we started feeding them, just like most companies are doing today. And mm -hmm. 
Uh, it was a shitty process to order food and figure out what people wanted. This one wants kosher. This one wants halal. This one wants gluten-free. This one wants everybody has their own preferences. Um, yep. And the only thing that we could get was local restaurants that could deliver to us. So it was like everything within a five mile radius. Um, so me and the co-founder of that business, you know, came up with a concept around hungry, which was how do we circumvent, you know, the entire restaurant industry and go directly to all these chefs, get authentic food into the offices and, and build the business around corporate catering from there. Um, I do want to take, I, I do want to step in just a little bit now and talk about the celebrities that you've been working with. Um, you guys are a corporate fucking catering market. <laughs> like this is not, this is not like, this is not something that like people immediately say, Oh my God, this is so sexy. I got to put my brand on this. So how did this corporate catering marketplace attract investments from Jay-Z, Usher, Kevin Hart, and then give us some stories, you know, this goes on and on. And of course, give us the stories. Yeah. Sex, sexy is in the eye of the beholder, man. So <laughs> we, um, uh, I knew Jay-Z's chef from a couple of years back, um, told him about this idea when it was just an idea. He was like, I think it's brilliant. Chefs need a platform. Nobody cares about chefs. No one has our back. Um, this definitely gives us a, a platform to, to make money and do good. Um, so when I built the, we built the business, came back to him, you know, a year and a half later. And I said, look, I got over a million dollars in revenue. What do you think? And he's like, um, my boss is investing a lot these days. Um, you know, I can take this to him and, and share the idea with him. Um, so I think he did it over breakfast. He, he called me, uh, his name is chef Brandon. He called me and it was like 5am. He's like, I'm making breakfast for, for the family. And wow. Can you give so like me Jay Z, Beyonce, and all just like the whole the whole family? Yeah, he's like he's like they're gonna be down any minute. Um, can you give me some talking points? I'm about to you know I'm gonna tell them what hungry is. This guy's the man, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. I can hear like the the faucet is on, chopping is you know he's chopping stuff up. He's just like <laughs> going on. Just wanted some quick talking points. I gave him a couple quick things, and um, uh, he shared it. And then 24 hours later, he said. Uh, uh, Jay Brown, the CEO of Rock Nation, wants you to come out to LA and meet him um, and talk about you know this, this this company that you started. So, next flight out, went to LA, met with Jay Brown. It took him, I'm going to be honest, like less than ten minutes to decide on what they wanted to do. So, you know, walked into his office. He said, "Pitch me. Tell me. Tell me what you do." So wait, 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 wait. Let's let's back up a second. You get to the office. Did did the secretary email you to schedule it? Did you email? Uh, yeah, like are you just Brown talking yourself? with Jay Brown right now? Like, what's going on exactly here? So this Jay part. Brown, yeah, Jay Brown um, did reach out, you know, and he he does communicate. Like he, he doesn't have a lot of people in between who who he communicates with. So he said, come out to L.A. His assistant coordinated, you know, time and date and all that stuff. Went into their building. There's like you know, one famous artist walking by another famous artist walking by there's pictures of Jay-Z, Jay Brown with like J-Lo and this person I just all over the wall. Oh my God. Sick. And then I'm there for my corporate catering platform. <laughs> <laughs> so sat in the lobby. Uh, then they said, you know, go on up, walked upstairs. Um, his office was awesome. He has like every, everything you would think of, you know, walking into somebody who's like a, a music mogul. Oh, I could imagine. Um, Grammys and just like everything all over the walls. Um, Sat down. And he said, "You know, tell me a little bit about Hungry," and I did. 
And then he said, I know everything about you and your background and live safe. And it threw me off. I'm like, wait, wait, Jay Brown is like, I did my research on you. I've been, I've, I looked into Amon Palavani. That I knew everything. Wow. Like, that I know, you know, how many, you know, how big live safe is. I know you got it to a hundred million. You know, he's just going on and on. And, um, and then he said, how much room do you guys have in this round? And I was like, we just started it. And he said, uh, put us down for 1 million. We're in. Yo, what would you say? What you say when he says that? Like, how do you answer that? I, I kept pitching like an idiot. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> so I was like, so this is what hunger is. And he was like, Iman, we're good. Put us in for one million. Um, and he was like, thank you. And <laughs> That's awesome. I was in probably a minute, like nine. So it felt like the, it was too good to be true. The meeting was too short. Right. Um, so I just kind of sat and I was like, okay. I was like, great. So anything else that you need to know? He's like, I know everything. He's like, I'm good. <laughs> Wow. How do you usually get in touch with investors? Like, what's your tactic? I usually ask other people. So um, I think that the thing that most people don't do um, is people are just afraid to ask. I think if you ask people, uh, I have this theory where if you ask your friends, do you know anyone who's famous? Usually everyone knows one person. And Hmm, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Like if you really think and dig, you'll find one, even if it's like a B level or C level celebrity, like everybody knows one person. If you don't, that's problematic. So everybody <laughs> knows one person. The problem is no one asks. And, and so when you ask someone, most people are willing to help. Um, so for investors, I do the same thing. I know an investor, I'll ask them, do you know others? They say yes, because all investors know other investors. And so within you know, minutes, you can you know, talk to 20 investors or get connected to 20 different investors just by asking everybody, you know, who else? Do you know that you think could benefit from this? Interesting. And, and honestly, I like that. yeah, yeah, it's been my interaction with, with Jay Brown and uh, Jay Z is the same thing. I'm like, you know, I asked him. I said, is there anyone that you guys think would want to invest in this platform and would want to be a part of this? And he's like, of course. Here's this person. Here's that person. And he's been connecting me to people since like since day one. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so Jay Z, Jay Brown. We covered them. I mean, there's there's more than just those two in this. So once you kind of got the flywheels turning, the flywheel turning here, you started getting celebrity after celebrity starting to come in. We're talking Usher, Kevin Hart, and a bunch. Isn't there of an Usher people. story here? There is an Usher story. Yeah, we uh, we opened up our. Um, we had closed the A round. The A round was done. Um, our third market was Atlanta, so uh, we had DC, Philadelphia. So I flew to Atlanta to go and like literally, we're looking for office space. You know, day one company building stuff, um, interviewing catering captains, interviewing chefs, and then one of the commercial kitchens that we got in touch with was the owner's name was Janetta Patton. So we go to the commercial kitchen again during the day one. I'm super active, right? So I'm like going in myself, looking at these kitchens, meeting chefs. And I walk in and it felt like a version of Jay Brown's office, like celebrity photos on the walls. It was just like this. It wasn't a commercial. It didn't look like a normal commercial kitchen. Right. This is not what the typical commercial kitchen at all looked like. I mean, it was immaculate, clean, beautiful. Most of these commercial kitchens, they're not as, you know, there's like pots and pans everywhere. Hers was flawless. Um, Janetta walks in. And she's like, you know, great to meet you guys. So I'm starting to tell her about Hungry. And she says, do you know who I am? And, and I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> she's like, I'm Usher's mom. And, oh. and wow. I'm like, Usher. All right. So there's got, I know one Usher. Is it that Usher? Like, <laughs> um, 
like there's more than one usher they resemble each other it's his mom so um uh she was like i love what you guys are doing i think this is you know so necessary you let me call usher and tell him to come down here (laughs) and i'm like okay sounds great um walks out calls him usher comes in like 30 minutes later he was at a studio recording for the album that i think actually just dropped recently oh my god and uh anyways he comes in and and janetta's like usher listen to this and she's like iman pitch and uh, (laughs) went through the cycle again uh, and i told him i'm like you know jay-z jay brown got involved you know it's good for um uh them to hear that other people in their industry is involved as well so you know most people don't want to be the first one in definitely the last one in though um so he got excited and he said you know i'm in you know how much room do you guys have for me to invest and i said we don't have any room we just closed the round um he was like okay so how much room do you guys have i I want in (laughs) and uh so i had to i was like give me a minute i gotta call uh my partner so i call my partner and i'm like hey um i'm ushers in the room and he wants in and i know we just you know finished paperwork and got everything signed um we need to have like an emergency board meeting right now (laughs) open up the round let him in and then we'll close it again so within like 20 minutes board approved uh a small investment to get usher in the round and so we did wow I love that. Wow. Sorry, there's no room for you. No, but how much how much room is there for me? Yeah, he, he, he was like, don't make phone calls. Like, when you're usher, then you yeah. can do that. I mean, he was really nice about it, but he definitely was like, don't make a phone call. <laughs> how do you do? You, do you like? Do you still talk to these people? Do you still talk to Jay Z and Usher? Could, not still talk to. I guess my question is, could you just go? Oh, hey, Usher, what's what's up? What's going on? Usher has. Um, so my uh, connection to him is through his mom. So I. I respect that boundary and I do all my communicating um, through uh, his mom. Um, with Jay-Z and Jay Brown, I, I do have direct access and they are very accessible. It's shocking how accessible they are. I, I, I don't call usually, I do text. Sure. I will text them and then they will call. So usually I text and then they'll call right after and then like we talk about whatever my text was. Um, oh, wow. Sometimes they're not interested in what I texted so I don't get a response, but um, <laughs> you know, they, they're just, you know, it's, uh, but I interesting. Jay Brown is super um helpful. We communicate probably once a week. Oh wow. And and I'm telling him like basic updates. I'm like, hey, we just launched this market, sales are at this level, you know, and he'll give advice. He'll be like, I think you guys should go to this market next. You know, this is a booming area. We just invested in another company that's crushing it. Um, so it's a lot of good, you know, that guy's helpful. He's every entrepreneur needs a Jay Brown in their back pocket. Love that. Love that. And as you guys grow, because you're growing quickly, how do you adjust? How do you adjust your culture as you grow? Because your mindset when you're smaller is different than your mindset as you get bigger. How do you adjust? What are some of the big culture points um, you talk to your team about, and and kind of rallying everyone around what you guys do every day? Yeah. So for us, what was, what started to get a little bit scary was we started launching all these cities that, um, are remote. So everybody's working on an Island. No one's, you know, culture in DC is easy because I'm there. My partners are there. Like we eat, sleep and breathe it. Um, so everyone gets the hustle. Like everybody gets the hustle there and they, they work like maniacs, but they also like love it and enjoy it. Yeah. Other, these other, um, cities, 
they don't necessarily pick that up because we're not there all the time. So we just started using a lot of technology. We, we implemented Zoom every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The entire company, all 90 employees get on Zoom. Wow. All the leads in every city, gives, they give updates. They hear from me. They hear from uh, my other co-founders. Every week on Friday, we have an open mic with one of the, one of the co-founders. So anyone from any market can get on Zoom, ask any question that they want, complain about whatever they want, you know, be excited about whatever they want um, for one hour. And you know it's it's a, it's interesting what people say on these calls. Like they'll just get on and just that. ask and be like, "Hey, you know, are we doing okay as a business? Are we is is all good?" Right. Um. So it's just you just got to stay super connected to everyone. And then I do a really active job. So do the other co-founders of flying into these markets and spending four or five days with these markets. Um. So that they and it's, sometimes it's shocking. Like you know, for me too, I'm like they are not culturally the same as my DC team. So it's like mm. on us to make sure that they get there within a few days and like you spin them up right. The, um, you brought up something when you were talking about uh, your Zoom calls, which I thought was interesting. Where you have like some employees say things like, uh, how are we doing? Are we doing okay as a business? Um, that's, that brought up a pretty interesting thought in my head of just like, I don't think a lot of people realize as you grow up as a company, there becomes a much bigger disconnect between your role and the company that you work at, right? Like I am, I am a small cog in a larger machine, but I may not know how the machine is performing. How do you promote transparency inside of Hungary? We do a... So um, we're, we're probably too transparent in this regard. We, every Friday, will send a sales leaderboard update to the entire company. So it will list the, t- list the top performers all the way to the bottom performers. It'll tell you mm. how many... What the revenue is that each person... Oh, wow. Every month we publish out the monthly revenue numbers, the profit margin, the loss, like everything to every employee. Um, so our, our team is probably more in tune and dialed in than, than most are. Um, part of the reason is just because people are curious. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of exciting things. We get a lot of exciting celebrities and investors. There's a lot of PR and press around Hungary, probably more than there ever should be. Um, so. <laughs> It definitely makes it feel like we're killing it every day, um, but it's good for everyone to actually get dialed into the actual numbers and really understand, you know, how the business is doing. Do you, you find that, do you find that that could be maybe a disadvantage? Not because because any one of those employees can share it with, I guess, any competition or anyone who's close to the competition with you guys. I contemplate it all the time if if our company should be more transparent, and so I'm kind of back and forth on that. I think we, um, it's a little bit of a, we roll the dice on it. I mean, if, if somebody does share our revenues, I mean, honestly, we shared our revenues in our, um, in our, with Forbes and TechCrunch when they asked us about our B round. I'm actually, um, you know, our board members, some liked it, some didn't. Um, I, I think by telling the world where we are from a revenue perspective, it allows others who A, potentially want to acquire, be like, oh, so I didn't know that that's where they were. Sure. Mm. If people want to partner with us, maybe they thought we were small, but now realize we're huge. Um, it, it will open up. In my mind, I'm more positive about it. I think it'll open up more opportunities than, than not open up. Some people are like, when you start a company, you know, hold the idea to your chest. Don't share it with anyone. I'm the exact opposite. I tell everyone. I'll get on a train and make sure everyone on, in the same cabin that I was in knows about the idea because my hope is somebody can help me. Right. Somebody's going to be like, "Hey, I 
um, I know, you know, that this is how I met um, Chef Brandon, Jay-Z's chef. Yeah. I, I met him through a friend and I was telling him about this idea that I had come up with. And, and he was like, hey, you know, be careful. Like, this is a really good idea. Someone's going to take it. And yeah, it. that's, I think about that all the time. He's, he then went and told Jeff Brandon about the idea who then becomes the Jay-Z investment. And like, you know, I'm just a big proponent. If somebody wants to copy it, more power to you, man. Let's compete all day. It's all, it's all good because there's a big enough pie for all of us to have our slice. Interesting. When we were, I'll, I'll just share this. When we were raising our Series B, um, I definitely turned off a lot of investors because they could sense that, that I was like very open and transparent about the business. Um, you know, a lot of the questions that I got was, what about competition? What about competition? Competition is going to come in. They're going to take your lunch. And my response was, we, I invited all day. If competitors come into this space, the market will grow with it. Um, there can be a first place and a second and a third and a fourth, and they can all be multi-billion dollar companies. I don't need to be first place. I like, I like it, but I don't need to. It's not an all or nothing game for me. And right. so when investors think through that lens, I'm like, it's, this is probably not going to be a good fit for either one of us. So I have one more question on my side. Um, just on the raising money, I know you're, you're already in through, through to your Series B. Um, and I understand that it's a completely different process raising your Series B than it is raising your Series A. But the first money in, uh, in my opinion, for a lot of companies is always kind of the hardest uh, to attract. Concepts are the most unproven, the most work still needs to be done, and the most de-risking needs to happen. What is, I know there's no secret magic words you could say to an investor that gets them to invest, but what are the conditions of a business that you see having raised multiple times over for different companies? What are the conditions that you see a company needs to have to go from no outside capital to all of a sudden starting to attract a little bit? Uh, I think a lot of it, honestly, um, when you're, when you're raising seed round money, it's a lot of aesthetics, like, like, does your deck look great? Is your presentation crisp? Are you honestly like, does your logo look good? Um, <laughs> you're selling a lot of dreams that are to come, but the, the investor is gauging you based on like, are you sloppy or is this really well put together? Because if you're well put together, your presentation is put together, your pitch is put together, you're probably going to run a pretty decent company that I can put my money in. When you go to, I think institutionals, um, it depends, but just a lot of them are so ingrained in their um, metrics. You have to have, you know, we're not going to invest in you if you're not at least a $20 million revenue business. If you're 19, you're out, right? You right. could be the next Uber, but because you didn't meet the metrics, like you're out. So what I try and do is um, talk to a lot of investors. And it's awesome because once you finish pitching, you should ask them, hey, is there anyone else that you know that would be interested, everyone will give you someone. I've never gotten someone that says, no, I don't know anyone. So I pitch 50 people and then shop them to which ones are the ones that are really good fit that still care about this guy has a vision and I'm going to make a bet because I think these guys are going to make it. Right? My metrics might not be there today. They might not. They could be, but they might not. But I'm going to still make a bet because I think these guys will get there. If you were to tell my A-round investors, that we were to go from 20 million to 100 million in 12 months, none of them would have you know, invested in that concept. But we did. And right. to my B-round investors, we're going to try and take a $100 million business to a $500 million business in less than 18 months. 
And so a lot of this is like, they have to be able to believe in something that they haven't seen yet. And for a lot of investors, institutional investors, like that's really hard for them to do unless they see like hardcore metrics that are behind it. Um, so you got to like find the right investors. It's a lot of like talking to different people and like really finding the person who's like a solid fit for you. Got it. I love that. And by the way, a lot of what you're saying there is very true. I don't think a lot of people realize just on the aesthetic side of things, especially for like seed and pre-seed companies, it's the ultimate sign that you have your shit together. Yep. It really is. Yeah. Robert showed me some <laughs> pretty, pretty not great looking decks. Some could get disgusting. I've seen some which have typos in like the typos, name, typos in the name of their company. Oh. Oh. <laughs> that should never, it should never be allowed. That should never be allowed. It should not be allowed. I get it. You made up a word to name your company. I know it's hard to find a domain name these days. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but fucking teach autocorrect how to spell your company name. Right click, hit learn spelling. Super easy. <laughs> never mess it up again. Wise words from Robert Harari. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna go off about that if I don't shut myself up now. I see uh, every week, probably like ten decks a week, five to ten decks a week from different you know founders who are trying to. I'm like, I don't even. The first thing I do is I don't even look at the business model. I just will quickly skim through the deck very, very quickly. If it's not a sexy deck, I'll go back and just be like, I didn't look at the business, but here is what I think you should do to the design, of the way this mm -hmm. works. You could have a billion dollar concept on your hands. I don't trust you because you didn't put in the time in the design of the deck. So this tells me this is going to be a sloppy run business. So I, well said. I could be totally wrong, but for me, I think most investors invest based on emotion, right? And so if I'm not emotionally tied to this deck, your metrics are like an icing on the cake, but like sell the dream, sell the vision. So mm -hmm. well said. One of my co-founders was always a designer. Has to happen. You cannot, in my opinion, start a legitimate business unless you have a brilliant designer early in the game. You got to give him equity, give him pay, give him whatever he wants. That guy is going to carry you through for a couple rounds of funding. He's going to carry your website, your logo, your, your t-shirt designs for your employee. Like 50% of the company will ride on the design for like the first two years. Mm -hmm. so I, I, I don't know. I put a ton of value um, on bringing in a really good designer early on who's a hustler. Three thousand percent, a thousand percent. All right, Sal. Final question. Final question. We ask all our guests this question at the end of every episode, and that is: Is entrepreneurship born or made? And you cannot say both. Is entrepreneurship born or made? Uh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'll probably get people that will hate me for this, but I think entrepreneurship is born. Um, I, I do think I'm going to say born and like bred into you as you grow up. Right. So born and bred into you. Um, okay. If you had parents who were entrepreneurs, like that's definitely going to help you like pick up that bug. Um, I think a lot of people are really good executives or managers who can run a company really well, but to like build it, have the guts to do it early on to go out on a limb and like put everything on the line. I think that requires a little bit of, like an ounce of maniac in you, right? Because you're putting everything on the line, families at risk. Like, I, I think it's, a, it's not a smart thing to do, right? It's not for everyone to do. Um, and I think you have to have some luck on your side to make it. Like, I definitely think luck, there's luck involved in this game. Um, so, you know, a lot of people who are really good entrepreneurs right now who launched their company, 
and then got hit with this pandemic, that is shit luck on their side, right? Yeah. They yep. Made it, but really bad luck. So anyways, I think it's probably a born and bred into you. Well said. It's so it's so funny. Every time a bunch of the guests now that we've had on this, regardless of how successful their company is, they almost always say, it's not a smart idea to start a company. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so stressful. It's it, You will definitely go through a lot of, uh, man, just like all the different stress points that running a business has, middle of the night, just every... We're out of that phase now. I think when you reach a B round, you're kind of out of the phase of the roller coaster ride. But man, that first like two, three years, one day you think you just conquered everything. And then the next day you're like, oh my God, I think we're about to go out of business, guys. Yep. Oh my God. Yep, yep, yep. Oi. Aman, you've come here, told some great stories, done some crazy stuff, and <laughs> really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate it, man. This was fun. Uh, you guys are killing it. And uh, happy, to, happy to be here and happy to come back later when we, uh, when we either explode or implode one or the other. <laughs> well regardless either way it'll be over a drink next time a hundred percent a hundred percent um aman thank you for coming on the show and um cheers talk to you later cheers thanks everyone we are back with casual poor that was aman palavani what a guy what a guy. Aman is the man. So cool. So cool. I'm, I'm when when we can actually go to DC, we're actually going to go like see what he's got going on. You know, check out his operation, maybe grab some drinks. Um, I just want to get into the house. All right. Let's talk about Hollywood. How Hollywood. is Hollywood responding to coronavirus? All? You know, pre-corona, Hollywood was on a tear. You had... You have Quibi launching, which we spoke about last week, but you had you had new streaming services on the horizon, HBO Max, NBCU's Peacock, and content was being produced like no other time in history. I mean, each media company was bidding crazy numbers for, for content. HBO Max was supposed to launch with Friends, a Friends reunion show. That was supposed to be their big launch launch content they're postponing their friends reunion show but they're still launching with hbo max a lot of peacock's debut content also is being pushed back and then you have people that kind of just launched new streaming services apple plus apple tv plus specifically um can't produce new episodes of their hit show the morning show and so the problem is that's one problem New streaming services were supposed to come out onto the scene, and now the value proposition that they originally came, they were going to come into the market with, they don't have anymore. Then the second problem is, right now we're good. We've got a lot of content to take in while we're sitting at home, and we have nothing to do. But all that content and that production schedule was on fire before Corona. They were banging out episodes, new content, new episodes, new shows. All that's on hold, mm -hmm. total hold. And so eventually we're going to have a problem. These streaming sites are going to have a problem where they don't have new content to produce. They're not going to stand up to Netflix and Disney Plus, right? So the average consumer spends $37 a month on streaming services, right? They have to decide which ones are most important to them. 
Is HBO Max important to them? Who knows? But if HBO Max doesn't have content to support it, they're not going to sign up for it. And even with Apple TV+, Plus, they just launched. But Apple TV+, Plus doesn't have a backlog of content. Netflix and Disney+, Plus have backlogs of content. So if, you're, if you have backlogs, you're great. Look at Disney+. Plus. They estimated they were going to have 60 to 90 million Disney Plus subscribers by 2024. They're about to, they hit just hit 50 million global subscribers in 2020, which is crazy. It's going to be a tough move back. A lot of media companies were betting on, especially Disney and NBC Universal, were betting on theme parks. Obviously, nobody's going to theme parks right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how we come how the hollywood how hollywood comes out of this and which streaming services actually make a dent because i didn't think hbo max or peacock had much of a chance before this after this i really don't even know if 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 it's worth it at the moment if i was to if i was to tier this based on like who has the most to gain or like who's going to do the best here. Obviously, I think obviously like this favors the incumbents, right? 100%. So for the first time now in like a pretty long time, Netflix is in a better position than Apple TV Plus or from, you know, Peacock or any of these other kind of guys is um, because they have a backlog of content that they've created. I think I saw something like uh, they have content through the end of the year, like a pipeline of new content through the end of the year. So I'd say first place winners right now are going to be the legacy platforms. So Netflix, Hulu, um, et cetera. Then second place guys are going to be uh, networks that created their own streaming services who have a lot of existing content reruns that they could show you, but it may be difficult for them to produce new content. So, you know, I'm going to, that's, that's where like Disney plus comes in, yeah. comes in, things like that. I would say the guys who have it the hardest right now are Apple TV plus and Quibi. Right, <laughs> Quibi for a thousand reasons. Of course, I'm not talking yeah. about Quibi. Right, I could do that. We listened to our last episode. Um, but companies like Apple TV Plus, right, who are still in you know the infancy of themselves as a platform, um, and are in the middle of producing new content. Like you just said, they had to halt season two of the morning show, so they can't really produce new content. But they don't really have enough of a backlog of content to attract subscribers. I think they're going to have it the hardest. Look. It's also Apple. They have what two hundred fifty billion in the oh, bank. Oh, they'll be cash. fine. But they'll be okay. I'm not saying Apple TV is going bust, but it's gonna be what you're gonna see is there's gonna be a spike in subscriptions for almost every other platform, in my opinion, but probably Apple TV Plus. It's hard to build traction, and they were building traction. Apple TV. They had great content, and now it's gonna be hard to keep those subscribers. Right, keeping them is keeping them is great. Getting them back after they cancel is really hard. And I'm going to say one more thing. Movie theaters are closed. So NBC Universal launched Trolls. Trolls is a huge, Trolls is a huge movie for Universal. It's, it's like yep. a big, big deal. They do a ton of consumer product in Trolls. That was their big movie of the year. And they launched it online. They premiered it online. Not in the movie. I mean, they did, they did the movie theaters also, but it it was only a matter of time before the movie theaters closed. So they moved their premiere online. Yeah. I'm going to be curious to see. I don't know if they're going to announce it, but I'm going to be curious to see what those numbers look like. Did they get more downloads? Did more people see trolls? Did less people see trolls? Did anybody see trolls? Did it just disappear? <laughs> is that like going straight to DVD or is it 
is it even better? And what happens to the movie theaters after this? Do they survive? That's a good question. Is going to streaming, going directly to streaming, is that, is that a replacement for straight to DVD or is that the replacement for the movie theater premiere? Because like on one hand, you have more people than ever on streaming platforms and it's very easy to put you know, a, a promoted movie in front of them. You know what I mean? Like I could go on Netflix right now and it's going gonna, it's gonna to shove Tiger King down my throat until I watch it. Right. Right. Because it's the big banner at the top. But then like at the same time, you don't get the big Hollywood premiere, the, you know, launching across every single movie theater, the excitement of doing that. It's going to be something interesting to watch. Movie theater is going to have a, a tough time. I think this is the final nail in the coffin for movie theaters. Honestly. You've been saying, you've been saying coronavirus is the final nail in the coffin for a lot of people. I know. I know. I don't know why I keep saying that, but. Well, it makes sense. It's like, can you survive people actually staying at home? I, mm. Listen, at the end of the day. I think I'd rather watch a movie at home. Watching a movie at home is easy. Click a button, press play, sit back, put some popcorn in the microwave, and, and enjoy. All right, I'm done. I'm done. That's, that's it. I think the way that these guys could respond to this if they need to churn out new content is content that's easier to create from home. So like, for example, right, animated content. Yep. Fox is still producing episodes of The Simpsons. Yep. Right. They're doing their, uh, they're doing their, their, um, what do they call them? Their read throughs. Oh, uh, table reads. Their table reads. They're doing their table reads through Zoom right now. And yep. then they're just animating from home and then releasing them as cohesive episodes. Um, I think documentaries will also, you know, stand to mm -hmm. gain here. Anything with interviews in general. So that also could include things like nightly shows, right? Like Jimmy Fallon and things like that. Yes, they'll look different and feel different, but they can be produced. Agreed. They could go out the door. Agreed. You know what I mean? I think that there's an opportunity for some of these guys to go that route if they are saying, hey, we need to produce more content. It's a narrow way out, but I think it could work. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be interesting. It was an industry that was flying and now they totally stopped, like totally, totally. So it'll be interesting to see who makes it and not who doesn't make it, but who just doesn't make it as well. It's just another victim of the pop-up recession. Yes. But uh, let's cap it for this week. Yep. All righty, that caps up, that betepe, that rep. Nice. <sighs> Fuck. Nice. That wraps up Casual Poor for this week. Follow us on Twitter at Casual Poor. Still can't believe we got the handle at Casual Poor. Follow us on Instagram at Casual Poor Pod. Coming soon, TikTok. We've been saying that for weeks. I don't know what we're going to sure. do. We'd like to have a TikTok. I don't know if we're going to have a TikTok. If you guys uh, have any ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. Uh, yeah. Our theme music is by Daniel Lerner. Our album art is by Evan Parness. Follow us. Subscribe. Share. Do it all. You know, we're even going to come up with a name for our listeners. No, do we have to? Do we have to be one of those types that's like, what's up, you casual pores or whatever the fuck we decide? We'll just come up with something that's not stupid, you know? I feel like that's the kind of thing that they come up with. Oh, right. We'll, we'll play it out. Whatever, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next Tuesday. Cheers. Cheers.